morning. Amen. Amen, amen. You may be seated as you tell somebody that you love them in Jesus. You love them in Christ. God bless you. We love you. It's our honor that you are here today. We want to serve God with you. Thank you for coming. Open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. In our sermon series on Matthew, we've been in a special place called the Sermon on the Mount. How many have enjoyed these sermons from the Sermon on the Mount? You've enjoyed them? We're going through the book of Matthew chapter by chapter, verse by verse. All the notes are online and on our app if you don't have it, download it. Today we're going to be checked, uh, looking at chapter 7, concluding the Sermon on the Mount, and I think we can summarize this chapter with build your life upon the rock. And the rock is God and his word. God's word is the rock of our salvation. On the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Jesus should be the foundation of our lives and your life, my life, my family's life. So today we're going to go to Matthew chapter 7 and we're probably going to talk about two of the most popular scriptures that people know out of the entire Bible are in this chapter. And so the first one, I'm going to ask that we put up the meme that I have here and feel free to share it and say this is how most people read the Bible because this is how they see this popular scripture in Matthew uh, chapter 7 verse 1. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Game over. Book closed. Mic drop. We're done. We're out of here. We don't have to listen to the preacher anymore. Just don't judge me. Nothing else in that context. Chapter 7 is done, folks. Let's go home early. I mean, is that the way people think? That's just the way they think. Jesus said, judge not, judge not. So I should be judged. That's it. You can't talk to me about Jesus. You can't tell me I'm in sin. Are you perfect? Whoever's perfect, you know, throw the first stone, Jesus said. You know, if you're without sin, throw the first stone. You know, those who live in glass houses should start a rock fight. And, you know, this is the way the world looks at these scriptures, totally out of context, not understanding anything else that Jesus had said, and yet they throw it at you so fast. The second most popular scripture in all of the Bible will be coming from this chapter, and it's an amazing scripture. We'll get to that in just a moment. But let's look to Matthew chapter 7. Can we read that scripture in the real context? Can I hear an amen? Amen. Let's really learn about that scripture. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Well, that kind of gives us a little bit more insight than just the first phrase there, doesn't it? So let's understand this, how to judge correctly. Just scroll up to verse 1 so they can see that popular scripture because I want you to remember the audience Jesus is talking to. They are his disciples. But what background have they come from? They've come from the Jewish background. In the Jewish background, there were actual judges. There was actually a religious court called the Sanhedrin. They made judgments. What is Jesus saying specifically to the people listening to this message? You guys in charge of the synagogue, you guys in charge of the temple, you better not be making judgments about people that don't come from the word of God. Because if you're using a different standard to judge these people, then by a different standard, you'll be judged. Let me give you a modern day example of this. Imagine we're a part of First Baptist, and as the members of First Baptist, we've got all the fundamental doctrines of Christianity down because we're good Christians. But then imagine one of the leaders says, hey, we're missing a teaching in this church. All the women need to wear head coverings. If women are not wearing head coverings, they're out of order. 
they need to start wearing head coverings. Now, does the Bible talk about head coverings? Yes, but in the cultural context of that day. So these people take the scripture out of context, an extra biblical viewpoint, and now they push it. And then let's say First Baptist splits between those who want the head covering and those who do not want the head covering. So now Second Baptist starts a few miles down the road. What's the difference between First Baptist and Second Baptist? Everything's the same except First Baptist. The women don't cover their head. In Second Baptist, the women do cover their head. And the ones in Second Baptist think they're better than those in First Baptist. See, they're making judgments, not according to the Bible. And then now, imagine in Second Baptist, they say, hold on. We not only need to have head coverings, but we need to preach out of the King James Bible only. And so then a fight ensues in Second Baptist. Do we use modern translations or the King James only? And then now the King James only groups separate and they start what Baptist? Third Baptist. You see, what happened with Second Baptist? Second Baptist made a judgment outside of Scripture, and then now they themselves are being judged by judgments outside of Scripture. They made a judgment against First Baptist saying, you're wrong because you don't cover your head. But they then reaped that carnal judgment when their own church split over whether or not to use the King James. What Jesus is teaching us here is when you have the ability to make judgments in people's lives, don't make them out of carnal, unbiblical standards because later on in life you will reap those same carnal and unbiblical standards. He is not saying if you judge by fleshly means, then when you go to heaven, somebody in the flesh is going to judge you. No, you're always going to be judged ultimately by God's judgment. But what it's talking about here is the law of reciprocation or reciprocity, that you're going to sow and reap in judgment. And so in life, if you're a carnal, unbiblical judger, in life you're going to find carnal, unbiblical judges judging you. So now let's apply it to us preaching the gospel and somebody shouting out as literally as I've had them do as they drive by, judge not lest ye be judged. Let's put it in that context. Number one, am I their judge? When I am preaching the gospel or you are preaching the gospel, are you their judging counsel? Are you their Sanhedrin? Are you in any position of authority for your judgment to affect them? No, you're not a judge over them. Now, in this church, our leadership actually falls right into the perfect example of this. Pastor Berto, myself, the other elders and deacons, we need to be careful when we're making judgments in the church that we're not doing it outside of the Bible because if we do that, then eventually people are going to be putting their judgments about us on Facebook that are outside of the Bible. So if I, as a carnal leader, start judging you because you're not giving enough money outside of the Bible, because you're not always wearing the kind of clothes I would like you to wear or fashionable in a certain way outside of the Bible, then eventually us as a leadership are going to reap people's unbiblical judgment about us online. So number one, the context has nothing to do with us preaching the gospel. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with those who are in authority. Let me show you. Go to the book of Romans. Paul, when he wrote to the Jewish people, he was very specific with them with the, the sins they were committing. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Remember, Jesus is speaking to people in the Jewish context. Many of them understood exactly what judgment in their day looked like. Look at what Paul said to them in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now go back to Matthew. 
We're not in a place of judgment over most people, unless you're a leader in the church or a boss or those kinds of places, or maybe even a parent, that could apply. But for the most part, when we are preaching to people, what we're actually doing is telling them the moral standards of the Bible on which God will judge them. But there is a wrong way to do that, and there's a right way to do that. The wrong way to tell people about their sin is when you have unrepentant sin in your life. That's now why he moves to the next section and he goes, you're supposed to preach to each other. You're supposed to help get specks out of each other's eyes. But here's the problem. There are some of you with a plank trying to get specks out and you are worse than the one that has a speck in their eye. Now let me explain this to you. Imagine in this time, you have two Jewish believers. Nobody has authority to make a judgment over each other. You just have two normal attending the synagogue, going to the temple Jews. One of them keeps committing adultery. Like the story of the woman caught in adultery, where's the dude? Right? She wasn't committing adultery by herself. So imagine you have Tom, he commits adultery, and then you have Mike. Mike commits adultery. And please excuse me and forgive me if your name is Tom and Mike. If your name is Tom or Mike and you're having adultery, take it as a sign from the Lord, okay? (laughs) Tom and Mike are both committing adultery. According to the scripture, they have specks in their eyes. Both of them have specks in their eyes. But then now imagine Mike has now a opinion, a judgment, a looking down, a pushing out, a way of treating the other brother who's doing the same thing he's doing, yet he pretends he's better than him. This is now why Jesus calls that person a hypocrite. They both have specks, but one has a speck that has grown to a plank. So then what does Jesus say? Both of them are just supposed to go through life with planks and specks in their eyes and hope that one day an angel will come and take it out? No, Jesus directs himself right towards the Jewish believer like Paul did in Romans and says, you who are the worst, you who have the speck of your sin and the plank of hypocrisy, get the plank out, get the speck out, and then go to your brother who's only having the affair, and go help get his speck out. Wow, that's much different of a context, isn't it? This is actually teaching us how to judge. It's not teaching us not to judge. So what are some quick one-liners you can say back to somebody who says, don't judge me. Ask them, are you judging me, judging you? That helps, doesn't it? Or if someone were to say, hey, man, we're all sinners. You know, you can't tell me what to do because you're a sinner like me. Say, well, aren't I supposed to be my brother's keeper? Aren't I, aren't I here as a Christian to help get specks out of your eye? So if you're here today, let's make the application real simple. If you are in sin and then judging people based on that same sin, you're the one with the plank in your eye. And if you're walking around not bothering anybody but still in sin, you got a speck in your eye. Neither one of those are good in Christianity. Neither one of those are good. The ideal default position with eyesight in Christianity, because the Bible says the pure in heart will see God. We saw that in the Beatitudes. The default position is no specks, no planks. And then we go around helping get specks out. We're actually to help people get their specks out. And if they are to say back to us, well, don't judge me lest she be judged, we'll say back to them, I'm not the judge. I'm just telling you what the judge has said. Well, well, he who has no sin cast the first stone. Am I judging you? Am I killing you because of your sin? I'm helping you Get the speck out like God took the speck out of my eye. Look at that passage again. It says, you hypocrite. I love how Jesus calls them names again. Have you noticed through these great passages all the names that they're being uh, being called? It says, first, take the plank out of your eye so you can go show them and say, look, I've done that. 
I, I've actually done that. The Bible says, get the plank out of my eye, and I have. So when I'm talking to pastors, I'm telling them, I, I have gotten pornography out of my life. I haven't looked at it since 96, pastor. I want you to be pure so your, your people can be pure. I don't steal money from the church, never have. I, I've, I've gotten the plank out of my eye, and you can say that to others in your family. Listen, I used to have a plank. You know, if you did, you could say that. I used to have a plank. It was worse than a speck. I was kind of religious and judgmental, but I've got the plank. Out. I followed the command. Get the plank out of your own eye. And now look what I'm doing, saints. Look what I'm doing, brother or sister. Then you will clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. You see, I can clearly see now. I can clearly see now to help you get the speck out. So you ask the person, do you want the speck out? Because the Bible says he wasn't going to use angels to get specks out. Well, only God can do it. Well, that, only God can judge me. And I say, well, that should scare the hell out of you. Because on judgment day, there's hell to pay. Let's get the speck out now. Okay, let's get the speck out now. Well, have, have you ever sinned? Yes, but I've repented of my sin. I see clearly now. And I want you to have the speck out of your eye so you can see clearly. So my question to you, I'm in this hypothetical conversation, is do you want to see clearly? And that's what we have to ask them. Because clear vision, clear sight is what God wants all people to have. We should all be walking around clearly identifying specks in people's eyes, helping them to remove it. Every single one of us are doing it. That's why at, are supposed to do that. That's why at the end of Matthew, he says, go into all the world and make disciples, just like you, I made you guys disciples, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. That's how we help people remove the specks out of their eyes. We teach them to obey Jesus's commands. Now, notice this because it gets even better from this interpretation because it's the actual interpretation of what Jesus meant. Then Jesus actually says in verse 6, how to judge the people you're trying to help get specks out of their eyes if they're dogs or pigs because there's going to be some people that you go to precisely get the speck out and they're going to act like a stinker they're going to act like a dog eating vomit a new puppy was bought in our neighborhood. Our next-door neighbors got it. My kids were hanging out with the puppy. They love the puppy. They want a puppy now and all this. And then yesterday, they just, you know, in case this blurred out something, they said, and the puppy ate the bird poop because we have little, not little, but big geese dropping their little pooplings everywhere. Sorry to be like that, but you get my point. And the dog, the puppy just, just comes and eats it. Dogs will eat their own vomit. Dogs don't care. Jesus says in verse 6, don't give dogs what is sacred. Well, if I'm not supposed to make a moral decision about your behavior, then how in the world would I be able to follow this command? Because the judgments we are supposed to make are moral decisions, but not condemnations. So when I'm trying to help you be moral for Christ's sake, live righteous for Christ's sake, get the sin out of your life, I'm not doing it with a plank. I'm doing it with pure heart, a, a clear vision. I'm trying to help you. But one of the things I have to discern in you, to judge in you, is whether or not you're a dog or a pig. That's sweet Jesus talking. And sometimes family members can be dogs and pigs. Sometimes your neighbors can be dogs and pigs. What does it look like to try to dress up a pig? What does it look like to try to take a stray dog? Because they didn't really have the kind of pets that we have now, dogs with all these little boots and, and clothes and all these little things, you know. So just think of like the stray dog. What, what would it be like trying to be friends with a stray dog? Come on. It's not easy. It's going to be rough. The Bible says, don't give those dogs what is sacred. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. And these two kind of animals were the worst in the Jewish culture. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. They don't want to get the speck out. 
They're going to be upset with you for trying to get the speck out. And when you compare their attributes, their spiritual attributes, they're like pigs and ravaging dogs. Wow. Go back and put up the meme, please. Whose version of this scripture is right? The one that they have or the one you just learned? Come on, now go and do likewise. Let's, let's summarize it. Thank you, sir. Let's go back to the passage and summarize it. We're not making judgments outside of the scriptures here in this church. Our judgments come from the scriptures because we walk with the fear of the Lord. We don't want third metro praise. We don't want that here. I don't want to reap your false judgment of me because I made a false judgment of you. In other words, it's a different way of saying the golden rule. Don't judge others crazy because then you'll get crazy judgments. Don't make a mess because then you'll live in messes, right? That's the idea. And then when you're morally making decisions and preaching and teaching people to repent of sins, do it from the place where your vision is clear and you don't have a plank in your eye because you're a hypocrite. Make sure when you're preaching, you can stand before the people and say, all of my sins have been forgiven. All of my hypocrisy has been removed. I am more than adequate to now help get that speck out. And if they go, oh, I don't think that's possible. Nobody's perfect, and only perfect people can get specks out. Is that what you say to your doctor when you need a surgery? Well, you're not perfect, so I can't trust you to get the cancer out. Is that what you say to the bank? I can't trust you because, you know, I know you might steal my money. Come on. Is that what you say to your boss? I can't trust you. I can't work for you because nobody's perfect. No, we all trust each other in some extent. And Christians should earn the reputation. I do believe we should earn it again in this culture to be speck inspectors and to help be speck removers. And in summary, when you're doing that, some people are going to act like dogs and pigs and you need to take your precious pearls your precious treasures that are sacred, and just walk away and be like, okay, keep the speck in your eye. Kick the dust off your feet, as we'll learn later, and just be like, I'm going to the next person. Cousin, we'll talk about something else. Let's talk. Go Cubs, go Cubs, ah, go Cubs. Okay, we're, we're on the Cubs now again. Let's go. Because I'm not going to waste my expertise, if we would call it that, of removing specks on you babbling and being foolish like a dog or a pig. As a pastor, I'm looking for people who don't want to be dogs or pigs. And for those of you here who want to make disciples, you need to be willing to sort through the dogs and pigs and find the people who actually want the treasure, who want to listen. We were just out preaching the gospel at Wright College. It was amazing. Two people gave their heart to Jesus. This was Friday by God's grace. And as we were shutting down, a young man from an Indian background, he was raised Hindu, but then he converted to Mormonism and now was confused, and I don't blame him. He said, I was driving by, I saw you guys preaching, I went home, parked my car, got out, and I want to learn more about this. I said, bro, well, we got to go to the high school and preach because we got people meeting us. They were on a deadline to get there. I said, but would you like to hop in the vehicle, drive with us over there? I'll preach to you on the way there, and then we'll preach to you while we're there, preaching to others. And he's like, sure. So he, he jumped in the van, the gospel wagon. And you can see this on Facebook, came with us to Shures. And so while we're preaching to them, we're preaching to him. And it was amazing. It works. The gospel works. People are hungry. Jackie led a, another few teenagers to the Lord. And while I was preaching out there, you could see you know, some of them mock and others listen. And then sometimes those who start off mocking end up listening. God is able to do it. We just have to be faithful to go out. We're not to look at people and judge them by the external and say, oh, you're a dog or a pig. I can tell by your tattoos. Or you're a dog or a pig. I can tell by, by the way you are. No, no, no. We're to give them the chance. We're to give them the opportunity by not making a false judgment and preach to them the word and then let them show us who they are as we'll begin to learn how to recognize people by their fruits. Amen? Here's some scriptures if you scroll down the notes on more about Christian judgment. Number one, Jesus commanded us to judge righteously in John 7, 24. Let me just show you that scripture, please. John chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus makes the statement not to judge. Uh, he, he, he doesn't say not to judge at all. He says judge righteously. Judge righteously. Everybody say judge righteously. 
Amen. John chapter 7, verse 24. I won't be able to go through all of these extra notes, but I thought just a few of them would be helpful on this subject for those who want to study, study more. It says, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge what? Judge correctly or judge righteously in another translation. So I'm not supposed to judge you on your appearances, just like you're not supposed to judge me on my appearances. Oh, you're a pastor. You're up there wearing jeans. and Oh, you're a pastor. No, no. I'm supposed to get the benefit of the doubt from you. Judge me as a pastor by my fruit. That's what the Bible says. You are to judge pastors. We'll get to that, trust me, in just a moment. But don't judge me by my external appearance. Judge me by my fruit. And the same thing with you. I'm not to judge you by your appearances. I'm to judge you. Make the decision about who you are based on your character. And somebody might say, well, I never do that. I just let everybody be who they're supposed to be, and that's just the way I live my life. Great, so that means convicts and those who have child molesting backgrounds get to babysit your children then? That's great. So that means the person from Nigeria that just got a million dollars but needs you to send them a thousand dollars, you give it to them because you just believe everybody? You know, people who say, just do you, just do you, watch how quickly they change that when somebody does themselves and breaks into their car and takes their radio or whatever. Do you until it hurts me. Do you until you cheat on my girlfriend or, or cheat, cheat with my girlfriend or boyfriend. You know, do you until it bothers me. It's really just a lie. Nobody's really okay with everybody being themselves. Well, I just want everybody to be themselves. No, you don't. There's some wicked people in this world. And there are some people that are good most of the time, but they can do something crazy one time. You don't want them just to do you, do them the whole time, Right? So we are to make judgments. As a boss, you're to make judgments about your employees and, and the people you have with you. And as a parent, you're to make judgments over your children's friends. Wouldn't it be a terrible uh, way to live if the Bible says you can never make a judgment about anything? <laughs> Dear God, how would we have justice? How would we hire and fire people? How would we live in safety in a world unless we made judgments? So we're supposed to make them. Police are supposed to make them. Judges are supposed to make them. But we're not supposed to do it on appearances. Judge them by their character, as Martin Luther King Jr. said. Not by the color of their their skin, but by the content of their heart. Amen? Amen. James made a righteous judgment pertaining to how all Gentiles were to live in the church. So go to Acts 15, 19. There were leaders in the church making judgments. That's why we make judgments here. There are times that we have to put people out the church. There are times we have to make rules and standards. The church is full of these examples of them making rules and standards. I mean, come on. Do you want the people leading worship who are having affairs? Do you want your children being taught by people who are not responsible in their own Christian life? So your children eventually grow up wondering, what happened to Sunday school teacher Sally? Well, Sunday school teacher Sally is now transgender, but we still let Sunday school teacher Sam come and teach us now. Come on, there's got to be standards in the church. Listen to what this brother said here. The brother of Jesus half-brother of Jesus, who became the ruler of the church in Jerusalem. He said, it is my humble opinion that I wish not to offend anybody. Don't offend anybody. This is just my opinion. In my humble opinion. You know when somebody says that, pride is just about ready to spew forth. On Facebook, how do they abbreviate it? IMO, and then it comes the most garbage after that, you know? In my humble opinion, I hated it, and this and that, and this and that, you know? Just leave all that out. It is my what? Judgment. James makes a judgment in the church. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So there were non-Jewish people known as Gentiles coming to Christianity. And and the Jewish Christians were like, do they need to get circumcised and stop eating lechon and pork? And do they need to go to church only on the Sabbath and all of these things that we would not be happy about? But, you know, God had a purpose for at that time for the Jewish people. And and James makes the decision. He says, I make the judgment here. Leave them alone. And if you don't like it, find another church. In other words, come on, somebody. Pastors and leaders got to be tough sometimes with decisions. 
Now he made the decision with the consensus of the other leaders. And so we do that in this church. Let me show you one more. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Just want to spend a few more moments here because it's such an important understanding that we need of this. So instead of shying away from the scripture, let's live this scripture to its fullest. Let's, let's live godly moral lives, helping get specks out of people's eyes. And let's make sure the church is guarded from false doctrine or from bad behavior. Because in one place, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, they've got to start kicking people out the church. And oftentimes, people say, well, everybody's welcome. You know, just come as you are. And that, and that is true to an extent. But if you're going to come and cause division, you're not welcome. If you're going to come and, cause and, you know, come and teach other things and cause confusion, you're not welcome. We can still preach to you, but the Bible says some people don't even eat with, as you're about ready to learn. Those who go against the teachings of the church and then want to convince you to do otherwise, we as leaders, like Paul will teach right here, we're to warn you against them and say, we're putting so-and-so out the church because they're causing a mess. They're living in adultery trying to defend what they're doing. They're teaching that there's no such thing as the Trinity. And so we're warning you now, don't fellowship with them. Don't even eat with them. Pray for them and let them come and repent. And let me just say this. If you're ever a part of those church disciplinary situations and then they come to you with their little whiny story and say, well, they treated me unfair, listen to them, listen to them, and then say, but now tell me the truth. What did you really do? <laughs> what did you really do? Just tell us. Show us the discipline letter that they, if you're going to say all of that about Metro Prince, then at least show us that letter they sent you out with. Let us read it. Oh, the letter, oh I deleted it. I deleted it. No, no, let them show you the letter and then come to one of our elders and deacons and then say, I, I, I want to know about this and we'll straighten it out, I, tr I promise you. And we'll say, bring them right back here then. Bring them right back here. I see Sister Rachel nodding her head. Sweet Sister Rachel, come on. Bring them right back here and we'll go through the letter with you there as another witness and we'll let you see who they really are. See, the difference between us and them is we don't put all their business on Facebook. They put all of our business on Facebook. So block them, get that garbage out of your life because they're acting like dogs and pigs. When they're ready to stop trampling on the precious things of God, we are here for them. We love them, but we're not going to let people cause divisions in a precious church that is really striving for what God has for it. And most of these situations, we say to people, if you don't like it, as you've heard me preach here, just go to another church. But if you stay here in the mess and try to create the mess, we ain't playing that. But always notice with those people, too, they're messy people. That's why they always live in a mess. Because two months from now, they'll stop talking about us, and they'll start talking about you and the church that they went after this one and this and that. It will follow them. But, hey, you don't just have to take our word for it. Read the letter. Talk to an elder or deacon. We're there to let you make your final judgment. We're okay with you making a judgment. Amen? What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? So Paul's speaking as a leader here. I'm not the boss of McDonald's, so who, why is it my job to judge how she gives me that hamburger? You know, I'm not the judge of, of President Trump, so, you know, I can vote. I can show it in the vote. But, but the Supreme Court, the Congress, they'll take care of that. That's what Paul is saying here. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside God will judge those outside. God will take care of Trump. God will take care of your boss. God will take care of that. But in the church, expel the wicked person from among you. Some of y'all double-checking right now. What does that say? What is the Greek of that? Is there another, like, translation that takes that away? Because that's really harsh. I thought everybody was supposed to always come to church and never feel judged. Well, we're not judging them as in condemnation, but we're making moral decisions about your behavior here. Let's put it this way. It's my business to be in your business. <laughs> my business is to be in your business. If you don't want a church that is in your business, then go to the other 10 down the road that made it their business to not be in your business. And then don't get mad at me when you find out 10 years from now the pastors and the leadership been acting crazy because they don't want you in their business either. 
Come on, James McDonald didn't want you in his business. Jack Scott, the First Baptist, didn't want you in his business. Bill Hybels of Willow Creek didn't want you in his business. That's why you could get away with a lot of stuff there. And so there's a lot of churches that you may say, this is a softer road for me to travel on. We'll get to those wide roads in just a moment. But uh, let me just tell you this. I purposely set it up by God's grace as close to the scripture as I could because I fear God for my own salvation. I know if I teach you like this, then you won't let me get away with what they got away with. See, how can I bring a 16-year-old girl like Jack Scott did into his office and have sex with them? If I have taught the leaders who work with me, I am never to be alone with you, let alone a teenager. What have they now become for me? They've become now my policewomen, my policemen in my life. You see, it's just like a country who says, you don't need guns, you don't need guns. Government says, you don't need guns. And then once they get all the guns, they tell you why you needed those guns because they're going to try to take you over. It's just like the pastors. We don't need accountability. We don't need to push this stuff on you. This has been done wrong. And yes, it has. Churches have gone cray before. Okay. But you know what? We don't need this. We're just going to live and let live. It's okay for you to be alone with ladies. It's okay for you to do this. It's okay. And then before you know it, pastor, leadership, They're all by themselves, taking the money here, dating the women here, getting away with false doctrine over here, and then before you know it, people in the church are sincerely hurt, and they're wondering, how did it all happen? Well, it happened because they settled for a church without accountability. Let me share this short story, and then we'll move on to the rest. When I was making friendship with a brother on the west side... He was starting to learn about our church and our discipleship. And he said, man, that's pretty intense. I'm kind of interested. And then as I began to teach him more about it, because I kind of do that on the side, coaching other pastors how to do this. I'm working with about five right now. One will be coming from Louisiana during June, and he'll be sitting with us here. He wants to really uh, work on what we're doing. He's already read our book, sent me some of his notes. It's really impressive what God is doing, and I'm humbled to be a part of it. So I was helping this one brother, and we were talking, but then it kind of got to the point where I could read on him like it was too much. And I I go, maybe you don't want to do this, right? And he's like, yeah, it's too much for me. My people, and and when a pastor always says, my people wouldn't do it, what he's basically saying is I don't want to teach my people how to do it. That's what he basically means. So he said, my people are different than your people, Pastor. And they're they're not going to do this. That's what he basically told me. So then one day, out the blue, we're hanging out, doing some kind of an outreach. I can't remember where, uh, why I was there. But within moments, he pulled me into his office. He said, Pastor, you just got to help me in this situation. And he had this sister there that he was correcting and rebuking. It's okay. I'm used to things like that. But it was awkward. He was by himself with the woman for most of the conversation until he pulled me in. I always have my wife there or another sister there. Anyways, moving on, I then was put into the middle of their dispute. And in the middle of their dispute, he then points to me almost to make himself look better in front of this woman and goes, well, you don't want me to be like him because he wouldn't put up with this. You would have to show up to do this for discipleship. And if you were in his church, sister, you couldn't get away with any of this. You know what she said? She looked right back at him and said, that's exactly what I want. I want the accountability. I want the discipline. I want the the pushing me to become stronger. And eventually that man's church closed down. He didn't take the opportunity to really hold people to the standards of the scriptures. Remember, you're not a hypocrite if you truly repent of sin and are trying to help others. So don't let hypocrites who make false judgments in the church get us all to quit on getting specks out of people's eyes. There's people out there that actually want specks out of their eyes. There's actually people out there like you in this church, hallelujah, that want to live for Jesus. So let's be the true disciples out there. Get planks out, help other people get specks out. Amen. Praise God. I'm happy you're here today. I'm glad you're here. Let's go to ask, seek, and knock, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread... We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks then for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven will give good gifts to those who ask him. Here's the most popular verse in the Bible, right? Or at least the saying 
So in everything, do to others that you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. So Jesus then moves on to teach us to have a life of prayer. And he gives us three direct examples of what prayer is like. Prayer is like asking a father for something. Prayer is like knocking on the door of somebody's house who you've planned to hang out with. And prayer is like seeking something that you know you can find if you look hard enough. And he's teaching us that we always are to be asking. We always are to be seeking. We always are to be knocking because our father is even better than the fathers on this earth. Isn't that awesome? That's encouraging, isn't it? Uh, We wrote a song about that, and it's a great song to remember to ask, seek, and knock. And so when we're coming to God in prayer, we're not trying to convince him of something that he hasn't already put in our heart. Sometimes we feel like we're trying to convince God to give us that raise. God put that raise, the desire of that, in your heart. Sometimes we're trying to convince God to do these things in our life, but we need to step back and understand what has God put in our heart that he actually wants to do. So as one preacher said it, I'm not asking God to bless what I'm doing. I'm asking God to help me to do what he's already blessing. I want to be where God is. Where is God? That's where I'm seeking. Where is God for my house, uh, for my life? That's where I'm knocking on the door. Where is God uh, wanting me to be blessed? That's what I'm asking for. So these are the things that we have as Christians, an assurance that God hears us when we pray because he's like a good father. And then he gives this example, which I think is so awesome because as a parent, I totally get it. Like how many understand? If your child asks for food, you're not giving them a poisonous serpent. Like, that's pretty basic. Like, you got to admit, like, Jesus is, like, pretty funny right there because there's no good parent. It's like, like, oh, you want something to eat, little Zoe? Here's a cobra. Here's a co- Eat this. Like, like, everybody gets that. Like, you're not that, you're not that foolish. Nobody, nobody. And I, nobody does that. And I love how God just throws it in here for all of us to understand who we really are without him. It says, even you, even you, a Flacco, though you are evil, you know how to do this. How many know Cousin Flacco doesn't give his child a serpent when they ask for bread? But that right there kind of offends people. It's like, though I'm evil. Well, hold on, I'm a good dad. I'm a good mom. And God's like, hold on, you don't remember the standard. Go back to the beginning. This is the thing that confuses people in the world, and we got to help them get unconfused. Um, One of our members posted a a, a Facebook post that said, you know, Islam is evil. This religion is evil. Christianity is the only way to heaven. It's the only good way to have a relationship with God. And people just got so offended. They're like, oh, there's nice Muslims. There's nice Hindus. And it's like, I just wanted to like get on Facebook and wave my hands and be like, hey, what don't you understand about Genesis chapter 3? We're all evil without Jesus. All this brother did was take one subset of humanity and go, this is evil, just to help you understand you don't get out of your evil going to Islam. But by default, every single one of us is evil. But that's not how we want to look at ourselves in the 21st century with Oprah and Ellen as the two prophets of our new church, the church of me. We don't want to look at it like that. And so now the classic songs that we used to be able to sing are even offensive to people because they don't want to say the words about themselves we used to say. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a pretty good guy like me. I once kind of was lost because I took a couple wrong turns, but I was going to be fine. And now I'm found. I had a little something in my eye, but now I see. That, that's how we want to sing it in the 21st century. We don't want to say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved A wretch like me, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. You see, there's a whole different way of looking at humanity, isn't there? 
There's, a, there's the way of looking at it through the word of God that we are all evil, even though we give our children good food and provide for them. But without Christ, by nature, we are evil. And so the Bible is very clear with us, even in a time that you could run right through that verse and forget it, get Jesus' worldview. Don't skip over it. In Jesus' worldview, everybody's evil unless they repent and are born again. That's why in Matthew it's his first message. And so if you have not been born again, you are evil, even though you know not to give a snake to a child when they're hungry. And then verse 12 which almost seems out of place because he's talking about judging and then he's talking about prayer and then he's talking about how to trust God and then it says right here, so do unto others as you want done unto you. How does that tie it all together? It ties it all together because everything we do should be from the eyes of grace and love. So if I'm making judgment, taking out specs, it's from grace. I don't want to take out your speck in a way I wouldn't want my speck taken out. When my mother was preaching the gospel to me, I didn't want her to say, Joe, I'll get that speck out, you know, and then pull out, you know, that, uh, what do they call those things? Chainsaw thing, or pull out the ax and say, I'll do surgery on you, Joe. No, I wanted her to take the specks out of my eye with grace and love. And when I'm praying, I don't want to pray a prayer on you that almost sounds like a curse. God, get my boss. I pray you get my boss real good. I pray you make them sick this morning, Jesus. Don't let them come to work, Lord. Make their children sick so they have to stay home. I curse this place in Jesus' name. No, when you're asking, you're seeking, and you're knocking, you're remembering the Lord's prayer, which is his will to be done, his kingdom to come. So here's how I even pray for my enemies and my frenemies, as the Bible teaches us to pray. I say, Lord, bless them, save them, change them, take away the sin. Why? Because that's what I want prayed over me. I want sin to be taken from me. So I want sin to be taken from Oprah. I want sin to be taken from the the world leaders, from multimedia leaders. I want sin to be taken from them. I want them to be saved, just like I want to be saved. So in everything we're doing, we're always doing it as, would I want that done to me? Would I want this prayer to be prayed about me? Would I want someone to help me get a speck out of my eye like this? Would I want to be raised by a parent like me? And the golden rule, the Bible says, is not just something we take lightly. It's actually what sums up the entire law and prophets. And in other places, it's taught like this. If you love your neighbor, you won't steal from your neighbor. You won't murder your neighbor. Even in business, you won't cheat to get ahead of your neighbor. We can do capitalism. We can do competition. We can, we can have innovation, all of these a race to who gets the best phone out. We can do all of this in the real world and still treat each other the way we want to be treated. I mean, just think about it. Let's say you work for a cell phone company, Sprint, and your, your best friend works for T-Mobile. Lord, bless T-Mobile as you bless Sprint. Make us the best we can be, and whoever wins, let them buy the other one so we can keep working and making cell phones, right? I mean, do you see it? I mean, you're not, you're not wish, well, just crush T-Mobile, make them all go on welfare. I want to see them standing out inside the, the, the soup kitchen like those black and white pictures during the Great Depression, <laughs> no, no, Lord, bless them. Make the best one come to the top. Lord, bless our nation. Make us the greatest nation we can possibly be, but bless the other nations. May they become free. May they have wisdom. That's how we live out the golden rule. Let's go to verse 13, the narrow and the wide gates. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. Now Jesus is going to summarize, because he's a good pastor, he's going to make four closings, okay? So don't get mad at me when I say in closing like two or three times. He's going to make four closing statements that are going to compare those who do what I've just taught you and those who don't. Here's the first one. There's going to be a lot more who don't do what Jesus taught, and they're going to be on a road to destruction. Don't be like them. Go on the road where there's few. Amen? Okay. Next thing, verse 15, watch out for false prophets, for they will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Don't you have to make a judgment there? Why just accept every prophet? You're going to be in a lot of trouble, and you're going to be broke. Amen? And then before you know it, you're going to be somebody's wife or husband, because that prophet's going to prophesy to you and say, you need to join my harem. 
And you think I'm kidding when I talk like this. You would be shocked at what I have to deal with as a pastor. Just some friendly neighborhood cultist was on my Facebook yesterday spewing his nonsense. And I'm like, let's get it on. So I was going to debate him. You know, online, you would have got to see that last night. That would have been fun. But then he chickened out. Well, guess what? The guy he follows has multiple wives, has already been arrested. All of these charges brought against him. But people keep following this guy. I'm telling you, deception is deceiving to those who can be deceived. Don't be a person that can be deceived. Don't be one of those. Be wise. So look at the judgment. Don't be like the false prophets and don't follow them. Verse 16, by their fruit, you will recognize them. That's how you're going to make a judgment about everything, especially false prophets. By the fruit, the fruit of people's mouths. Let their words tell you what's in their heart. By their actions. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. There's the principle in life. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree, now here's where he starts getting very serious about what's going to happen to those who don't listen to him. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into where? The fire. Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Within just a few verses, Jesus has gone back to threatening with hell. Why is he doing that? Because he wants you to be warned. Don't be like them. They're going to hell. If you follow them, you'll end up having the same fruit of them, and you'll go to hell as well. Look at verse 21, because right now you're like, well, I would never do that. I'm the one that always goes out and preaches, and I see miracles when I preach, and the church I go to is a really cool church. Now look at how he'll literally scare the hell right out of you. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, not some, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your, names perform, in your name perform many miracles? Then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Man, it gets dangerous to mess around with the things of God. How much more serious could Jesus have said that? Like if Jesus showed up here right now, 21st century, speaking to this church, could he have said it any better than what he just said in inspired scripture? I don't know any other possible way he could have said it better. Many of you here will try to say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, I don't know you because you didn't do the will of my father. So people in Metro Praise, all leadership here in Metro Praise, we better take Jesus serious. Because if we think we're just going to skate on by Jesus on Judgment Day and be like, boom, I'm good. I went to Metro Praise. I'm just skating on by. I used to preach. I used to see demons cast out. Here I am just skating on by. Now I'm going to go backwards. You look at me skating on by. Jesus is literally going to say to us, stop. I don't know you. And then some people will be like, of course you know me, Jesus. You created me, all of this. The Bible says in Ezekiel chapter 3 that if the righteous, the righteous person stop doing their righteousness, their righteous deeds will be remembered no more. And obviously he knows you as his creation, but the know here is a knowing of intimacy and salvation. And he's saying, hey, you might have known me at one time, but I don't know you anymore. I, I, I don't even know you in that way because everything you've done has now been erased. You can backslide. And you can be a false convert. Avoid both of those. Backsliders are those who once knew God, turned away. Now they're no longer remembered as knowing God. And then there's false converts, people who just came along for the ride but never truly accepted Christ. Here's how he ends with today's message title. Uh, Adam, would you come please with the band? Here's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, and can I just say this quickly? On my way here to church, I listened to the Sermon on the Mount like five minutes. Each chapter is only a few minutes. I listened to it on 1.5 speed. Would you this week listen to all three chapters again as you hear me read this? Read it or listen to it because it is so important. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. You don't have to turn there, Andrew, but just listen to me. Remind us of what we were taught. 
We were taught about the attitudes of Christ and the Beatitudes. We were taught to, taught to be salt and light in this world. We were taught to appreciate the law and see Christ as our fulfillment and practice and teach it. We were taught that we're not to murder, and not murdering doesn't just mean not causing someone to die, but it's also not being angry without cause with them. We were taught not to commit adultery, not only just to cheat on our husband or wife, but not to lust after, after the opposite sex or even the same sex. We were taught not to flippantly get divorces. We were taught not to break our word. We were taught not to seek revenge an eye for an eye. We were taught to love our enemies and pray for them. We were taught to give to the needy and not boast about it. We were taught to get a life, a prayer life. We were taught when we fast and consecrate ourselves to the Lord, not do it for extra brownie points or to brag. We were taught to put our treasures in heaven and set our sights there, not on the earth. We were taught not to worry because we're seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness. We were taught not to judge by a false standard, but to be those who can get specks out of people's eyes. We were taught to ask, seek, and knock and go after God's presence, to not follow the wide gate and path to destruction, to not follow those who have bad fruit or to have bad fruit ourselves, to not be a false disciple, but a true disciple who does the will of God, we are to build our lives on those words. You will be like a wise person who built your house on the rock if you do that, Jesus said. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus taught us how to build a house on the rock, and when he had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had an authority, not just as teachers of the law. And how many felt that authority here? Amen. Would you click on that slide in closing, please? You remember this, this from our worldview series, right? Here's what Jesus is saying. Build your life on my rock, the word I gave you. Make my rock, uh, my words your rock, your axiom. Why can we do science in the world? Why can we make all other judgments in this world and decisions in this world? It's because God's word is what we're building our life on. The question I want to ask you today before we close out is what are you building your life on? Can we just close our eyes, please, and just see your life right now as a house, your family, your children, your job, or if you're young people, your, your family, your parents, your school. What are you building your life on? What's the foundation of your world today? I know for some of you, you might just quickly say, oh, it's Jesus. That's easy, Pastor. Altar workers, would you come, please? You might say, that's easy, Pastor. It's Jesus. But would you look at your life and see if that's true? Because you might just be someone paying lip service to Jesus, but not really building your life with Jesus. A good way to do is, uh, you know, start to look at how you treat your enemies, how you look at the opposite sex, how do you behave when you get angry, how do you treat people that you don't get along with few moments, would you make sure you're living what you say you're living? Today, if you're not a Christian, you can be born again because you can't start building your life until you get a new life. This old one is too broken. It can't be fixed. The Bible says he doesn't just fix us up. The Bible says we're reborn and made a new creation spiritually. So today, don't try to renovate yourself with good works or new habits. Ask Jesus to do a demolition on your old life and rebuild a new life. Just simply say, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sins. And Christians, if you came here today and you would say, I haven't been building on the rock of Jesus. I've been compromising. I've been lacking in these areas. Would you begin to repent? In a few moments, we'll dismiss by standing and starting to worship as the second service folks start to come in. But can we take this time to look at our lives and see what our foundation is.
my foundation to be on you. And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm. As you feel that you have prayed through this, would you start to stand and then worship with us? Don't feel like you have to stand in a hurry. Take your time praying through it. But as you're ready, would you worship? someone to pray with you. Would you come forward now? I promise you they won't falsely judge you. They'll love to pray with you. Come on up if you would like prayer. We'll dismiss in just a moment. But let's end with prayer and worship. I will put my trust in you. Yes, Lord.